And that's why like my website, you know, I'm like, get a legit website. It really is. Let me help you get respected. That really is what it's all about. Let me help you look professional because you're badass or, you know, you're really good at what you do, but your stuff looks like shit. (laughs) (laughs) So let me help you, you know, but it really, it's the respect piece. This is Show Your Business Who's Boss. Listen in on behind-the-scenes, unfiltered conversations with my favorite business owner friends who take charge and make their businesses work for them. Don't just be your own boss. Show your business who's boss. I'm Pia Silva. On today's episode, I'm excited to have badass business owner and super badass woman that I've had the pleasure of working with over the last few years, Evelyn Powers. Evelyn founded Design Powers 25 years ago, and in that time, the business has evolved from a graphic design firm for mid-sized companies and nonprofits, mostly in print, to a web design firm for professional small businesses and entrepreneurs, mostly online. And I'm excited to share her story of starting her business because she did it primarily because she wanted to be home with her then two young children. And she's going to share with us how she had to evolve and grow over the years to keep up with the total transformation in the design industry from print to web, and how now Design Powers is in the midst of a complete rebrand to niche even further in on small creative business owners, founders and experts who have legit businesses with uncommon and unconventional offers, and who want to seek authority through excellence and conviction. Right up my alley. We will talk about the need to evolve and the challenges that come up with that evolution. And that if you want success, getting comfortable with evolving and adapting is critical. And I know Evelyn's story will inspire you. So buckle up. Here we go. I used to call myself like the creepy art chick, you know, 80s. I look like, you know, Robert Smith from The Cure. I smoked cigs. I was painting and, you know, wiping my hands with turpentine with a cigarette (laughs) out of my mouth, you know. You're still that chick, by the way. No more cigarettes, (laughs) though. I quit smoking cigarettes. Yeah. So, but you still have kind of like the cool, like a little bit of the wrath. Yeah. Which I love. I have to say, and this is sort of a weird thing to say, but being an ex-smoker actually did serve a lot of, like, it's like a failure that really helped me a lot because one, I learned how to quit something that's really hard to quit. But I also learned sort of that you, if you are, if you do have a bad habit or something, you do have to really, really consciously always be working at making sure, you know, that you you don't fall back into that, but doing the things that will just give you that, that confidence not to fall back into that. How long has it been? Uh, I quit when I was 29. So it's been, you know, several decades, but I've, it may turn me into a runner. I always exercise. I don't, you know, not exercise without fail because I know you can't run, you can't swim, you can't cycle. Sometimes it really is your failures or your addictions or your bad habits or whatever that really inform the rest of your life because you know, you know, I, I, I know what that feels like and I don't want to be back there. How how did you quit? It took me about five years because I kept saying to myself when I, so I started when I was 16 and I really just started out of boredom and, and peer, not, I'm not peer pressure. It was just really, honestly, it was boredom. The high school that I went to was just okay. And so I, I found like I would be like hanging out with nothing to do and thinking, wow, this really sucks. And I just kind of started like smoking because, you know, and it was, it was a lot more accepted too. This was like late seventies, you know, early eighties, but I, but definitely by the time I was in my mid twenties, I was like, okay, you know, you, this is not 
sustainable. This is like not a good thing. And I actually had a thing that happened to me. I was working at a job where I had a client who was my age, but she was really athletic and I really admired her. And and I was on the phone with her and I like, you know, this is definitely pre-cell phone and I had to cough and like I took the receiver and I like put it down and I like coughed and then I put it back up to talk to her and she went, that was disgusting because she could like hear like my coughing. It was disgusting. I just said, I've got to quit this nasty habit because if I sound like that in my late 20s, imagine what I'm going to sound like, you know. Oh, it'll destroy you. So it, it was on and off, but eventually cold turkey. I was just like, okay, I'm done. And that was in my late 20s. But I, it really was a mentally, I kept do, trying it and then I would fail and then I would try, you know, so it took some time, but. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you're right. It's a great example of, I mean, anything that you do that's really, really challenging <laughs> and you're able to overcome it, it kind of gives you that strength to do something else. Yeah. I mean, you said you're like an avid runner and exerciser now. Well, I mean, that's a hard habit to keep. Yeah. I, I and I was really into triathlon for a little while. Yeah. Oh like You went extreme I, the other I way. I did. I, you know, I really tried to get super into it. I mean, it's tapered down. I mostly swim now. But yeah. Well, that's the best one. Yeah. When, as you get older, it's, it gets harder and harder to run and stuff, but yeah, it's, just just having that exercise discipline like and you got it in with the dancing you know you just you have to you have to have that everybody has to have yeah. a physical you know outlet and and just keep just making that part of their life because i can really really see now my you know people my age and i'm in my mid 50s if you if you hadn't begun to incorporate something like that, at least by your forties, you can really start seeing it and feeling it by your fifties. That's what I've noticed. Yeah, yeah. So that's where you get all your energy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You are a ball of energy. I, I mean, gosh. Well, I love exercising, but I don't. I find it hard to find time to do it. You know, actually. I, I've written a lot and talked a lot over the last few years about I went I made a transition from waking up really early to like not, you know, and like not you know this whole pain brain thing and, you know, relaxing all morning and kind of doing it differently. But actually, uh, confessional is that for the last like year, I've been waking up at like 5.15, To be fair, completely naturally, because my son is, you know, little. So, yeah. So the only way that Steve and I can exercise is that one of us goes to the gym at 5.15 in the morning. And it's not it's not just that. Like, my eyes open at 5. It's not like I don't set the alarm. My body is just so adjusted to this early thing because by 9 o'clock, we're both so exhausted that we just fall asleep. So if you fall asleep at 9, like, 5 o'clock is really not that early. Yeah. And so we just alternate going to the gym every day. So that's... That's how we do it. But I, if I didn't have a kid, I'd be exercising every day. I love it. It's addictive. Yeah. I used to, you know, I really miss that. I, I noticed I don't have as much energy because I can't do that. Well, it's hard to, you have a very young child and yeah. yeah and it, it, I mean, that's really physical. It's, it's just really physical. Yeah, but I don't. <laughs> and he's me and Steve's kid. So like he's energetic, but he's also chill. Yeah. He's pretty chill. So we're not, yeah. I take him to the park and I like hang out on the bench. Yeah, my my son was more, I would say, cerebral than like like a maniac boy. I used to be have, so I have a daughter who's now 22 and a son who's 21. So they were close in age. And so I would take him to this play group when they were little, little, and it was mostly boys. And my daughter was one of two girls and the boys would be just like running around, running around, running around. And my son would be right in the middle of it with a book. (laughs) And of course, all the other moms are like, how did you do that? And I'm like, I have no idea. (laughs) So is your son and your daughter, like, did they pan out like the way that they, that they seemed? Yes. I mean, both of them 
So this kind of kind of gets into, you know, my story about why I started my business 25 years ago. So I I had been working in a, a design firm and it, and this was the the third one and I was being I was an art director. It was a good job. It was downtown. I live right outside of DC, so it was in Adams Morgan, which is kind of like, you know, like the Brooklyn of, you know, DC, just a really funky fun you know, place to work. And, but, you know, I would be working 50, 60 hours a week. That was my 40 hour a week job. And I remember going, how am I going to have a kid and do this? Like, this doesn't seem like, you know, I'm not going to be able to like hang out with my kid. And so I wound up starting my business so that I could, you know, have it like established. And I already had like freelance clients too. So I was, and I had a setup at home and things like that. And so I started my business September of 96 and had it for two years before I actually had my daughter who was born September of 98. And, you know, and really I say it was a business, but it actually really was a job. I created an at-home job for myself because I didn't market. I didn't network. Of course, there wasn't like, you know, the internet was really, it was there, but it wasn't like really something that, you know, you... Well, what kind of design work? I was doing graphic design. Everything was print, nothing, nothing web at all. And it was just, it was just good, steady work for, you know that recurred every quarter or every month or something like that. And it was perfect because I could do it at any time of the day. And as long as I met the deadline, you know, and I was still making, you know, the same amount of money. I was actually making way more money than I was in the um, design firm. So, but, so, you know, when my daughter was born and then, you know, my son was born, I would you know, take care of the babies or my baby, which, you know, whichever point in time. And I would like sneak in, you know, an email here or there and phone calls if, you know, they were napping. And then when my husband came home at five, six, we would all have dinner. And then I would go in my office and he would bring them, you know, either out or upstairs and read to them for sometimes two or three hours. And so my daughter has gone towards the arts and she just graduated college. And my son, he's about to graduate this year coming up. And he actually wants to go into the state department or the foreign service because he's always been, he's always been kind of wonky and likes politics and history and geography and stuff like that. Perfect place. And they need smart people. Yeah. Yeah. So no, they're, they're both. They're wow. Both what kind of art? Graphic design. What kind of design? Art? I'm, yeah. I'm trying to. Is she going to join the fam? The Hopefully. family business. <laughs> That's what I said to Emily. I go, we could get Vanessa in here, and it would just be a total, you know, oh family biz. So, but you know, she. I would imagine she looks up to Emily, she, her yes, older cousin. Yeah. Yeah. So, but she wants to do her own thing, obviously, too. But she also has you as the uh, the model of. You can do your own thing. I mean, you're a pioneer, Evelyn. I mean, I feel like it's a not that people didn't work for themselves before the internet, but the internet certainly made it more mainstream yeah. and common. Yes. Right. I mean, that was my feeling. Even even in the last like five or six years. Yeah, and you didn't I mean, you didn't common. have any courses online or business or right. you know figure it out yourself. Yeah. Um, so, and like, I would have couriers come to pick things up. Like everything was still, you know, manual Manual. like that. My friends would go, you have like the worst of both worlds. (laughs) You You get to stay at home and work at home. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) but you know what? I loved it though, because it was rigorous. It was definitely very, you know, it could be pretty grueling at times, especially when they were really young. But I, I never missed a field trip. I did tons of stuff at their schools, you know, muffins for mom. I even did the donuts for dads a couple times if my dad, if my husband couldn't make it. But I just, I, I was like, this is really my number one job. And then my graphic design is my number two job that's going to fit into my number one job. But I didn't, I didn't really want to scale a business or anything at that point. Sure. Because I really did just want to enjoy 
being a mom too. And it's funny because, you know, there's a couple of women in our Facebook group now and I've, you know, I've talked to them offline and, and some of them have really young kids and, you know, they're trying to do stuff with their business too. And I, and, you know, and I say to them, you know, definitely enjoy those babies though, too. Like, don't be too hard. You know, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm so behind. I haven't been able to catch up. I'm like, you know, it's, it all, it'll yeah. all happen. Yeah. That's such a good message. It's, it's, it goes by so quickly. Even if you're there, I, I find myself being physically present, but mentally away because I'm thinking about business work yeah. or I'm thinking about, yeah. And, and it's not always like a negative thing. It's like a positive thing. You know, it's like, oh, I'm so consumed with the things that I'm working on and building. And I have to notice and catch myself and say like, well, you're not doing anything productive here. So yeah. you might as well like put it aside and enjoy this moment here because this is fleeting. I am happy that I was in that period before cell phones too. Like the first you know, iPhone came yeah. out 2005 and all, that's right when my kids started to go to school because I, I will say, you know, a lot of times if I'll get to a park just with other friends or whatever, and you do, you see moms looking at their phone while, the, you know, the kids and it's just, it's, I don't want to say it's sad, but it, it's just a different a whole different dynamic that I'm glad that, cause I would have been one of those moms looking at my phone too. <laughs> yeah. It's addictive. Oh, I'm I'm super aware, uh, conscious of it, and it takes a lot of awareness to not do it. One time, yeah. I my phone got stolen, and I I still had a landline at the time, so I ported my cell phone number to my landline because I intentionally just wanted to sort of not have a cell phone for a little while, and I did. I didn't have it for three months, and at first, it was like almost like an addiction. Like I was I was sweaty. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. oh my God, where's my phone? And then it sort of, it was like, yes, when I leave this house, I am untouchable. <laughs> yeah. You know, I am free. Yeah. Of course, I finally then had to, you know, get one again, but it, it was a good experiment and it did. And I still have carried some of those lessons. When, a lot of times I'll go places and if I have to sit or stand, I just sit and stand, sit or stand. I, I don't pull out my phone. And it's just like, I just want to be present. I don't want to always have to distract myself because it's that, it's that habit of, oh, I'm standing here and I have to stand here for 10 minutes. Let me look at my phone. You know, obviously. I need constant yeah. stimulation. I need yeah. constant uh, Obviously, like pre-COVID, I would strike up conversations with somebody. You know, now it's a little bit harder because everybody's socially distancing and things like that. But yeah, you just, it's just those little micro habits and things that you have to, you know, less but better. <laughs> less but better. Well, so do you, do you, do you find an urge to pull it out, but don't? Not, no, no, I don't. No. And I, and I also, I never bring it to, the dinner table or the, when I'm eating, I don't look at my phone. Yeah. If I'm by myself, sometimes I'll pull out a magazine or something like that. Or sometimes just like try to just be. be. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard for people like us because our minds are always just racing and thinking. And, you know, you you said it a lot and in several different podcasts, and I completely agree. It's the downtime that where you actually get your best ideas. And sometimes I think you just have to be not distracted. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I find if I'm like this past weekend, it was beautiful. I was like sanding and painting a bookcase. This one that's right here. And, you know, it, it was just nice to... I have a task, but my mind was really working, you know, on some other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Steve and I used to, and actually now that it's going to get warm again, I, I look forward to it. We used to spend a lot of time walking. We did a lot of, we live about a mile from the Williamsburg Bridge. So we, we did that walk a lot, like walk to the bridge, walk over the bridge, you know, you like walk into the city and then turn around and walk back. And there's something nice about 
the bridge, particularly for me. There's something about going over the water or something. It's the closest thing I have to nature. nature. (laughs) Okay. So, so tell us, so you're doing design, sending print work with couriers, picking out PMS colors, I'm sure, and all that fun stuff. And then you had to learn web. Right. So, so about the time my daughter went into high school, so that would be to about 2012. So, you know, I'd had my business figure out 15 years. I kept getting asked to do websites at that point. And I'm like, well, now I don't know how to do them. And I had, ta- oh. I had taken a couple classes, but taking classes and actually doing the thing, it's just not the same. So I then like really started to get serious about it and took like a sort of like an intensive class and I loved it. And the first thing I realized right off the bat is because I, so I took a front end web developer class is, and I was the oldest person in the class. I was like, okay, I'm not going to be a front end web developer. (laughs) Yeah. There was still a lot more coding and CSS and HTML and JavaScript in it. It, you know, like the builders and all that was, maybe they were starting to get around, but they still, you know, everything was still pretty program oriented. And so then I wound up starting a, like a joint venture with a WordPress development partner. And I bid on this massive job and got it. And so it was just like, all right, feet to the fire, you're doing this. And I learned a ton in that. And then just sort of, just kept, you know, taking on more and more web websites and, you know, getting other people to build them, but I would do the design and the project management. And it was hard. I remember like the night so well when I had this really big job and I was laying in bed, like almost like sweating, crying to myself going, what the fuck (laughs) did I, like, why am I doing this? Like I had a good little thing going. Why am I doing this to myself? But why, what was so hard about it? Just, I I think just sort of the knowing, the thing that's so different to me with web design versus print is just sort of all the considerations that you don't have with print. Just the, you know, the coding, the, the site maps, the, the web accessibility, the SEO, you know, the responsiveness. I mean, there's just all these factors that when you're first getting into it and you have to design for it, and that's not how you've learned to design before, it feels really overwhelming. It's like, oh my God, how, you know, because I was used to designing from reading from left to right and substrates, right. And, you know, it's just, a, it's a completely different discipline. Plus, you don't know what you don't know. And, and especially back then, you had to know a lot more actually than now, because that's really when we got into it was 2000. We started in 2011. So Steve wasn't a coder either. He knew a little bit of CSS. We built a couple of simple websites using CSS and it, and then use designers. I mean, the, the web developers. And then I, I think I, we knew, we so didn't know what we didn't know that it was like working with them was just like we were speaking different languages Mm -hmm. because here you say something to a web coder and they go, Oh yeah, we can do that. And then they don't do it. And you're like, you said you could do that. And they're like, well, I meant something else. Or you said this other word. You're like, what? (laughs) This doesn't look right. What, you know, like, why don't you understand what I'm saying? That's how I remember it. Just that constant frustration with the coders. And I, it's funny because I can always tell when a graphic designer has designed a website because they, des- oh, they really? design it like a print piece. And it's, you know, and it's, it's, it's really, really different. And, mm. and then, of course, it keeps evolving, you know, just yes. constantly, constantly changing. It's faster and faster, I know, actually. I know. Yeah. And so just sort of keeping up with that. I mean, I've gotten a lot better at it, but... Yeah, just like t- this morning, Emily and I were talking about because now we're in Squarespace. Thanks to you, you convin- convinced us. We were, we were just saying because Squarespace is making huge, rapid changes, like practically every day, and we're like, wait a minute, <laughs> that wasn't there, or what? You know, 
they did it. It was different. And it's hard yeah. because you have to train clients how to use their own website. And if it keeps changing, you know, if you've prepared things based off of the way it was, then you have to keep changing what you've prepared and how you train. And yeah. your clients are like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But so around, so I had this joint venture and I was still doing my graphic design stuff and taking stuff on myself. And then I really felt like this is, this is where I, I went from Evelyn creepy art chick in, you know, very kind of introverted to, I mean, I was always sort of gregarious and funny too, but yeah, introverted <laughs> to, I took a leadership class. It was a year long leadership class and it was, you know, it was in Arlington County and it was a lot about the community and government and schools and all these things, but it also was really about standing up and being a leader. And, and not letting someone else take the front role and you and that you're a follower. Yeah. Wait, what made you take that? I, you know, I just, I, I wanted, I wanted to, you know, get out of my office. I was, you know, work, mm. I had always been working by myself and I was like, no, I really need to, you know, get out there and, and learn how to, you know, as I said, be a leader and not just, um, doing my own thing all the time. So, and now because the, my kids were older, I could do that. And I, and I really, honestly, I was doing that before, but doing it within the auspices of their schools. Like for mm. my kids' schools, I always did like their yearbook. I did a newsletter. You know, I, I did a reading group, like when they were in elementary school, I had these little reading groups. So I was being a leader sort of in these microcosmic ways, you know, but then I was like, no, I need to you know, kind of bust out a little bit and learn a little bit more about, you know, my community and other business people. And so, and that's when a friend of mine who was starting to do that, we ran together and she had started essentially like a social networking group for women who owned their own businesses. But it really was about getting together after, you know, work and drinking wine and, you know, bitching about our businesses. It was basically <laughs> it. But then it just sort of grew and grew and grew. And after this leadership course, I approached her and I was doing the website and taking pictures and blogging about it and things. I said to her, why don't we turn this, like, see if we can turn this into a legit organization. And so we did. I mean, we wound up having 200 paying members. We had chapters, like other people in, in the general area that wanted to do it. We would meet monthly. And so it, it wound up going on for five years, but then it sort of ran its course because then women-only networking became very sort of more common. And But it was just a, a, a really good experience to not be... Yeah just design focused. Yeah. Well, and again, pioneer, Evelyn. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> creating a, a, a network for female entrepreneurs to get together on a consistent basis where people like pay to be a member. Yeah, you're right. That's everywhere now. Yeah. But that wasn't everywhere. This wasn't just five years ago because... Well, it was, it was we like started in 2014 and then we ended it in 2019. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And you had a podcast. Well, we had the live radio show. That's actually... Oh, it was a live radio yeah. show. Yes. That I was lucky enough to be on. <laughs> yeah. And then it, we and we repurposed the audio to a podcast. So that was one of my favorite things. And I'm sure you find the same thing. You know, we would have women come into the on-air booth and they would just tell such incredible, amazing stories and like one woman, she had come from Pakistan on an arranged marriage. She had gotten married. Her husband didn't really treat her very well, but they wound up having three children. And then she, and this is all like in Ohio, she wound up divorcing him. She came down to this area and she had taken, she had become a physical therapist. She wound up being at GW Hospital and wound up being Hillary Clinton's physical therapist when she, you know, hurt herself when she was Secretary of State. And then she wound up like 
how she became an entrepreneur is she fashioned like a sling that doesn't, if you have an arm problem um, or injury that doesn't go around your neck, it's more, you know, around your body because a lot of people, you know, have like get stress from their neck and she marketed it to the military. She got a patent on it. Like, I mean, you just... Like what yeah. a story, right? Wow. Yeah, and you, you would get pe- women like that, and it, yeah, it was just really, really moving. And I, I did, I love that. And on air, you know, was, that was kind of fun because you're at a radio station. It's just kind of got this other vibe, and so. But then they had to shut the station down, of course, because of COVID. So. Oh, that's why it ended. Yeah. Why didn't you keep up the podcast? You, you- We've t- we well, we talked about it, and we we might redo it. You know, yeah. yeah. So Karen and I may redo it. That's why we've kept it live on the on the website. But she had some other things going on too, personally, and so we were like, yeah. all right, well, you know, while this is COVID is going on, you know, we can kind of take a break and then revisit it. Yeah, it's a commitment yeah, for sure. It is, but it's like such great marketing depending on who you're marketing to. So that's something you've been kind of f- figuring out because you used to do these WordPress sites, these big projects. Yes. Right. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like, and that's part of what makes people cry in the middle of the night <laughs> about their agencies is like these huge projects can get very yeah. unwieldy. Yeah. So you were having a lot of success getting the projects. Like what was, what was the positive and what was the challenge in doing that? I think the time, you know, the time to develop those, it's just so much more of a, you know, a longer process. And I really like, I, the thing that I love about working with smaller businesses is you really do get to work with the decision makers and, and you just feel like you're really valuable to them. Whereas I think when you're working with a larger organization, you you can be part of the team, but you're a consultant amongst many, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it's just, a, it's just a different vibe, I think. And the other thing that happened is in 2018, Emily, who had been interning with me, you know, she graduated college and I thought she would like go on to, you know, another design firm or something like that. And she's like, no, Anne Ev, I want to work with you. So, you know, I was like, okay, well, we, you know, we got to kind of figure out how are we going to do this? And that's actually, you know, we had started with the WordPress model and then that's when we did the mastermind with you. And we were like, no, we both actually don't really like this platform. And we really kind of want to pivot and change who we're, you know, talking to. So we sort of took that time to do a lot of different businesses and, you know, still within that small service-based professionals, you know, and limited size. But we've definitely kind of honed it down now to, you know, who we really enjoy working with. So you moved from huge companies to, and big projects with WordPress to small businesses with Squarespace. Mm -hmm. What kind of small businesses? Oh, professional service-based, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, And so now we're, we're even narrowing the focus down more to really like creative, creative entrepreneurs. And even so the, like the talk, I told you I'm doing a talk next week and I brought this word up and and I never got a chance to talk to you about it, but the word conviction, how Mm. brands of conviction, how that came about was we've actually gotten a couple different clients lately where the basis of their business is really based on either a social issue or an environmental issue. And so, you know, they're starting a whole business to solve a problem you know, whether it's equity or environmentalism. And Emily and I really like that. We really are enjoying yeah. that. So just trying to, you know, kind of put that into our business too, because I do think that's super important. Yeah. Especially well, also, and that also gives you like a, a nice further niching yeah. of your message yes. and who you're for. Yeah. 
So what's the dream? Like, what's where do you want to be in 12 months, six months, 12 months? Um, we well, for me, it's definitely making more money. So we have, you know, a figure in mind of what we would like to be making per month. So we're, you know, we're just working towards that. That's, that's kind of the dream. You know, a lot of it too is taking into consideration like what Emily wants to do too. Yeah. And she, she really wants to travel and, you know, do some other things. So it's, you know, we're always sort of negotiating what, you know, a 55-year-old wants to do and what a 26-year-old wants to do. (laughs) Hey, the goal, the goal is... Freedom. Freedom. But the goal, I mean, how are you doing? What is your goal with intensives? Like, is that, have you guys tried doing intensives? Do you want to do intensives? To me, intensives are the answer. I think we do, but I guess because we still... There's still this piece with me where I feel like we haven't been able to nail the client yet at the price point that I want to be at. You know, there's, I guess there's just this hesitancy. Yeah. So I. Interesting. Tell me more about that. Well, so when I think about you and Steve doing the intensives, you, you are able to write well. Whereas I, and then Steve is the design, you know, Emily and I are the design, but we always sort of have to get that writer first. Gotcha. And to me, the website is the writing. The writing comes first. Writing is king. Everything Mm -hmm. else follows. And that's why I think I was, I'm excited about Michelle because I feel like if we can kind of get, you know, a collaboration and we're working towards the same, then we could perhaps do this intensive thing. Mm-hmm. But you have to have the writing before you can do anything. And then, mm-hmm. and then really, so how do you get all the visual assets too? Like if somebody, if you're doing something and somebody needs all photography and everything, custom photography, you guys yeah. have a studio where you do all that, right? Um, yes and no. The photography, I mean, I don't love when we have to do the photography, but when they need photos, we bring a photographer in. Okay. And that's that. our biggest package. Yeah. And, and it become it's our biggest package and it lasts over, a, it lasts a full week and the photos get done on Monday. Right. Yeah. So, so the photos get done on Monday and then we do the, the rest of it on Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah. So it adds this huge piece to it. Yeah. Well, so when they don't need that, what do you do? Just you use stock or whatever they have? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, this is like part of teaching the intensives. I think part of it is is teaching all the design strategies mm-hmm. that Steve uses. You know, it's like stock sucks, but there's all kinds of ways to use stock where it doesn't look like stock. Oh, yeah. Know, where yeah, it's, definitely. I mean, m- most of the websites we do are using stock, you know? So it's a combination of, of how to treat the stock photos, how to, how to pick the stock photo. I mean, Steve does, you know, that's like a big part of his job is just looking through photos to find the right piece, the right pictures. Oh yeah. But, but picking the photos, treating the photos, collaging the photos, like a lot of our higher end client, you know, a lot of our, most of our, most of our $30,000 and up clients, the, the sites have some, some kind of mixing of photos and design elements, but not always, you know, like we've done some pretty expensive sites that are super, super minimal because mm-hmm. that's what it called for. You know, it's really about what does it call for? Right. Sometimes it's really minimal, but you know, there's just like these little design elements that really bring it up. The the design, the, the quality of it mm-hmm. to that higher, more luxury, more expensive level which is what most of our clients are going for because they're all looking for premium. Right. Right. Yeah. Like that's who we're looking for. And that's who you're going to be looking for too. people. I mean, it's a prereq to work with us. If you want to work, if you want to be affordable, like you don't hire us right. <laughs> because you're right. not in the right mindset. Yeah. So that's where I'm at too. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Well, I would say that the copywriting, you're totally right. And there's kind of two, there's two avenues. One is connecting with 
and possibly incorporating a copywriter into your process. But I think it absolutely can be done out not in-house. I think mm-hmm. that it's the kind of thing that if you, you have to build a relationship with somebody, but there are plenty of amazing copywriters out there who would be happy to ha- to be incorporated into your process so that every time you sell a client, they're getting, you know, they don't have to do anything to get this client and they get to just do their job, right? That's what all creatives want. Yeah. Like, oh, you just bring me in for all your clients. Great. So I have no doubt that that's possible. But the other option is like to work on you're writing, which is kind of what I did just purely out of control issues. <laughs> like, like I didn't know how to write copy. Yeah. Or anything for that matter. Really wasn't a good writer. That's, that's a great point. And I ha- I ha- actually have been writing on, working on my writing with blog posting. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it might just be a confidence issue, Evelyn. I think you are a pretty great writer already. It It's a time for me, it's sort of like if I if I'm gonna do design or if I'm gonna do writing, I'd much rather do design. Okay. Like I love I love using that muscle way more than writing. I can write, but yeah. if I get to choose, like I like writing. I like working with writers too. Gotcha. There's that part too. And then yeah. and then supplementing. Like I, I like, you know, like to go into it after they've sort of gotten like the 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 bones down and then it's like okay all right now let me do my you know Evelyn that's even better that's that that makes it even easier because now you can have a writer come in as part of your process to do that first amount Mm -hmm. which honestly I mean not to undercut writers I, I believe everyone should be paid well but you don't have to pay as much if you're basically saying to someone here I'm going to download what this needs to be and tell you everything I need you're gonna write me you know, one to two versions of this. And that's your job. That's it. Because I'm then going to take it and finish it off. And it's almost like you are the writer. You just have someone else doing the heavy lifting. Yes. And that's what I'm doing right now. As I said, I just need to get, you know, more premium clients as you. Yeah. I think it's all part of the same effort. Mm -hmm. And also premium clients are not just about the price point. They're about the time spent. So in 2014, we went from $30,000 clients to $30,000 clients. So seemingly went from premium to not premium, but we made way more money hmm. charging $3,000. We did way more and they took so much less time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not always about, and in fact, it's way easier at first mm-hmm. to be doing tons of clients. Like saying to you, what if you just did twice as many projects? You might go, oh my God, that sounds like so much work. Okay, but what if they took a third of the time? Actually, you're doing a lot less work then. You're doing a third of the less work to do twice as many clients at a third of the time. So that's kind of why the, that's why the intensives to me is like, it's not like wait till I get premium clients and then do intensives. It's the intensives are a way of turning even existing clients that aren't premium into premium clients. Mm Mm-hmm. What if somebody pays you less than you're getting paid now, but it literally only takes you a day of time? That would be great. <laughs> totally. I'm just, I'm, I'm sharing it for my listeners as well, because I'm really, I think it's really about, it's, it's about not staying focused on one of those numbers. It's about always staying focused on the relationship between the two, the price and the time. It's not the price by itself. You could, someone could pay you a hundred thousand dollars for a project and it could be the worst, most unprofitable project you've ever done, <laughs> you know? And people just get so starry-eyed by the numbers. Well, I think for me, because I am so into design, like yeah. I do like, and this is definitely a discussion that Emily and I have had because she is as well. We're not necessarily interested though in banging stuff out though either. Like I do want to create things that have, I've given a lot of thought to and that has a lot of do- design to it. And that's actually kind of the tricky part because that does take time. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're doing you know, it's how, how do you do that, but then charge, you know, what it's worth in the amount of time, you know, it's always just Mm -hmm. an art, like 
you can't spend too much time on it, but you want to spend enough time on it where you are really proud of what you've done and you feel like you've really, you know, executed at your skill level. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. So what if you are um, not compromising those things, but just kind of entertaining the idea that you're not necessarily compromising in order to do work in possibly a different way with a lot more clients at first in order to increase the prices, in order to create that space to give them more time and thought. So for example, you know, I can only use us as an example. When we did those smaller projects, first of all, you know, $3,000, Steve and I would spend at the time like a day and a half, right? Like they came in for the day and maybe we spent like a couple hours beforehand preparing. Okay, so for $3,000. So then we're doing like a bunch of those a month. Like, and all of a sudden we're making so much money (laughs) that we've never made before. We actually, to be fair, we were just doing them all the time because it was like so fun to make so much money. And after not making money, it's Mm -hmm. like exhausting. You know, all of a sudden it was like, I don't care. Like, this is great. <laughs> like, I'll take them all. Can we squeeze this one in between the, that, those two? Great. Let's do it. You know, that was exhausting, but we did it. Then we started raising the prices. But as we raised the prices, we created space and time to be doing other creative work mm-hmm. that was that outlet. And then as we raised the price, we raised the price by making the projects by being able to deliver more. So we were now not spending a day and a half. We were spending two days on it. We're spending two and a half days on it. The price is now $10,000 though. So it's a much bigger price point, but the amount of time we're spending is more. So we weren't always increasing it proportionately, but a little bit, because as you're going to increase the value, like you're going to be putting more into it. Mm -hmm. So the, the initial, so that's what I'm saying by like, imagine if you could have exactly the business you want, you have the amount of time you want, you're getting paid the amount and you have that in eight months. Would you do different kinds of projects now in order to build up to that? If you knew that that's where you were headed? Definitely. You know, really, I think what are the goal that we've talked about is yeah. to do two 10,000 projects a month. Yeah. So if we could do two you know, that's got the writing. I actually really like the custom photography piece, but yeah, I, I hear what you're saying about that, but yeah. Well, it can't be 10,000. It has to be yeah. 15. Right. Oh yeah, definitely. If Which you're, is okay. If you're going to, yeah. If you're going to do a photographer and a, let, let's just say, put Michelle into it. That's definitely a 15, you know, if you yeah. get a brand writer like that. So, but about man, 15 grand for, an, for a brand with an amazing message and custom photography, like that's a deal. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, even like that for me, two, two of those a month would be awesome. So, so imagine if two of those a month and you did them each on a week, like if you mm-hmm. could do them contained in a five day period. Yes. A $10,000 one, a $15,000 one. And the other two weeks, Emily is off traipsing about wherever she wants to be. And you're the same in your studio. (laughs) No, I'm going to be in Italy or something. (laughs) Yes. You're traipsing around Italy. Yes. Whatever you want to be doing. But yeah, I mean, to me, that's, that's, totally possible. I, that to me is an intensive model because without, in, without some sort of intensives where you're doing them concurrently, right. One, yeah. one after the other, but, but in a, in a, what's the word in a chunking fashion, like in a, in an intensive fashion where, you know, you're, you're just working on one project and then it's done. And then you have another one and it's done. That's the only way to have that other part, which is the freedom. Because if you're doing multiple projects at the same time and they're taking more than that amount of time, like they're always going to be overlapping. You're always going to have some other project. It's really hard to check out. I think you can do it. And I think you can have enough time to do the work that you want to do. I know. Well, you know, so many things that we all have is just our relationship to money. And maybe it comes from your childhood, you know, or your parents. And then you spend a lot of time trying to not think that way. You know, both my parents were, their their parents were immigrants. My mother, Italian, my um, father, Irish. And, 
you know, they were very frugal. And so my parents, you know, they, they were really frugal. And I think for me, I find that I'm the kind of person that I would rather do without if I can't have the best. You know what I mean? Like if I can't have the exact thing that I want, I'd rather just not have it until I can get it. Interesting. Yeah. So how does that how does that show up in your business? I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit of perfectionism, mm. a hesitancy to if I can't, if it's not exactly what I want, I'm not going to do it until I can get exactly what I want. Yeah. I've, I, there, that's a pattern. Huge. Mm. Yeah. And I have to, I'm fighting it constantly. And then also, you know, I've done all the, you know, the disc and the Myers-Briggs and, and the Enneagram. And even though I'm, you know, fun and gregarious, blah, 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 I do really care what people think about me. Because every time I do one of those tests, it, that comes out, even though I say to myself, oh, I don't care what they think. <laughs> it's like I do a test, you know, it's like Enneagram, you're number three. Yeah, because I do care. Like I care a lot. And maybe that's where the exercise and, you know, just I care that everything is tight, looks good, uh-huh. you know, that it's legit, it's respect. Like respect is a huge thing for me. Ooh. Yeah. Like if I respect every, I, you know, everyone, even like people who cold call me sometimes, you know, I'll chat with them for a couple minutes because I respect them as a human being. Like I do really honestly feel that everyone matters and every interaction that you have with anyone at any level, you always show respect, you know? And even when I did work for design firms, the last design firm that I worked for, the reason I left, other than the other reason I told you that I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom at some point soon, is I felt disrespected from the the guy who owned it. He would like take digs at me. And I'd be like, what the fuck, dude? Like, why are you saying that? You know? And we, and it was like weird kind of like cut cut downs and stuff. And I just thought, I don't need this shit. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I had a couple of things that just sort of happened to me where that respect thing came into play. And I've never really thought about it in terms of how I feel that towards other people until until I was telling, you know, a friend of mine that now, nah, you know, when people cold call me, I I I actually try not to be nasty. Like I think about the other person on the other side. And I just go, you know, no, I'm not interested. But every now and again I'll chat somebody up, you know, or on the street. Um you know, I just, I just try to, to really think about that each person is a human being and they have a story and they have feelings and, you know. I think is, well, I think is so valuable about what you're saying in terms of giving respect to people that call you. It's, it, it may be because of those experiences you had, but even if you hadn't had those experiences, my understanding is that your concept of even reaching out to people is one where, you know, people aren't necessarily going to be terrible to you because you're not, you know, I think a lot of people in, when it comes to sales, I think a lot of people are rude to salespeople and that's why they don't want to sell their stuff (laughs) because that's what they're expecting because that's what they do. And I think one of the antidotes, even though I know you're not doing it for this reason or this way, I think one of the antidotes to that is to show kindness and respect to people. I mean, I, I agree with you when people cold call or cold email, I, I try to respond and just say, no, thank you. Or, you know, I'm not so, interested. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the offer, but I'm not interested just because I'm like, but at least you're doing it, you know, good for you. And also it, it kind of empowers me to be able to reach out to people as well. Because I'm not so scared of people being nasty. People are still nasty, but <laughs> it's not a fear of mine because yeah. I'm not nasty. Yeah. You know? It's, it's, and that's why, like, my website, you know, I'm like, get a legit 
website. It really is get res- let me help you get respected. That really is what it's all about. Let me help you look professional because you're badass or, you know, you're really good at what you do, but your stuff looks like shit. <laughs> right? <laughs> so let me help you, you know, but it really, it's the respect piece. Yeah. Well, you know? look, I mean, that's like a core, a core value of yours. Your brand can be centered around that. Yeah. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Especially now when there is such a, you know, sort of dearth in trust of others, you know, or institutions or, you know, I I think we're all just searching for this, this truth, you know, is what this person telling me really the truth Mm. and, you know, that just everything is, feels so tenuous, in the trust department, which is yeah. to me is so fascinating because here it is. We have all this connection, you know, when we didn't have all this connection, I don't know. It just, it was easier to trust things. Now we have all this connection and you have so many fighting, you know, conversations and opinions. It, I, I feel like your son. I mean, it's it, he has a much tougher time gr- growing up than I did in the 60s and the 70s because, you know, I was insulated. I, you know, I didn't know anything except for what my parents and, you know, that small little bubble. I have to believe that it's not harder or easier. It's just different beyond comprehension. Your worldview, my worldview they're based on how much information and how we got that information in our most, you know, in our most impressionable years. These kids, like, born now? I don't even... <laughs> they're aliens. I mean, how they're... The way the world, the way that their brains are going to form based on how much information they're getting. It's like, it, I just feel like even compare... It's not comparable because it's like comparing a horse to a car. It's like they're not the same thing. So you can't really put your logical thinking of the horse onto the car. I have no idea. (laughs) Probably won't seem harder to him. The one thing I said to my kids, I, I wasn't like a don't do this and a don't do that kind of mom. The main thing I just would say to them is, remember, whatever you start, you eventually probably are gonna have to quit. So, you know, and that was really in like, if you start something that's bad, you're going to have to quit it. So it's probably best to just not start that bad thing. Like, but I wouldn't, you know, that was as like granular as I would get about it. You know, whether it's drinking a lot or porn or, you know, just there's so many temptations out there in the world and you just just don't even go down that road because you're going to have, it's going to, you're going to have to stop. And the longer Mm. it goes on, the harder it gets, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So that was sort of like my overarching parenting mantra, you know, (laughs) in terms of like bad stuff. Well, Evelyn, geez, I I feel like we came full circle (laughs) to our, to our initial conversation. Make bad, good habits, guys. Quit the bad ones. Start good habits. (laughs) (laughs) The key, the key to everything is just don't smoke. Try to do a few better, more good habits than you have bad habits. Yeah, definitely. In life and in business. Yes. And, and, Either marry a Pia or, <laughs> or join her program. <laughs> or join her program. Exactly. I'm trying to be everybody's wife. How about yeah. that? Yeah. That's how I should market it on Facebook. Yeah. No, it's you're you're amazing. <laughs> I appreciate that. I love working with you. I think you guys, I think you've got all the pieces. And I think that your perfectionism might be part of it, just like all of our stuff. It's so interesting to hear your like you dissect your own values, respect, and your own like challenges. Securities. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no. Your, 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 your challenge of like wanting things to be perfect before they go out into the world. 
and then seeing those like perfectly map onto what you're struggling with in your business. I mean, I think that's just like a perfect, thank you for being our, our guinea pig. I mean, I have the same thing, right? Like any, any of us, whatever thing that is most important to us, it's like going to map directly onto our business. Oh yeah. <laughs> I adore you, Evelyn. I hope, thank you, I hope COVID ends and you can come back and have dinner with us again. Cause that was so fun. Yeah. Well, I want you guys to come down here too. I know. <laughs> I know. We got a road trip. Yeah. Do some DC action. Well, thank you so much, Evelyn. It has been such a pleasure chatting with you as always. A pleasure working with you as always. I have no doubt that you are going to get exactly what you want. Talk to you soon. Thank Thank you. Thank you, Pia. This was wonderful. If you have a legit business with an uncommon or unconventional offer and you want to build more authority through excellence, go visit designpowers.com. They also have several helpful guides that you can download for free, including seven power tools brand guide and logo file format guide at designpowers.com backslash freebies. I will link to that in the show notes at piasilva.com backslash podcast. Taking inspiration from Evelyn today, are you evolving your business? Are you evolving with your industry or are you fighting it? Scared to take the steps you need to take to build the business you know you want. Sometimes it's learning new skills. Sometimes it's learning new softwares. It can be especially challenging when you've been in business for a long time and you're just ready to know how things work. I know that feeling. But really, that's what business is about. It's about a constant evolution. And if you don't get used to including the learning and evolving as part of the process, you may very well get stagnant and then wonder why your business isn't growing in the direction that you want. Let this episode inspire you to take your business by the reins and open yourself up to learning more. And that might just be your next step in showing your business who's boss. Show Your Business Who's Boss is produced by Yellow House Media. Production coordinator is Lou Blazer. This episode is edited by Marty Seafelt. Creative direction by Steve Wastervall. Our theme music is Glass Prisms by Western Runners. 